0: Hello, hello, welcome to The VHive, your go-to podcast for all things women's intimate health. I'm your host, Hannah, here to discuss the many questions you've always had about your body, but never wanted to ask. Whether it relates to sex, chronic pain, trauma, relationships, healing, hormones, spirituality, and so much more, we are normalizing taboos, breaking down the complexities of the female body and providing you with the information you need to take your health into your own hands. This week's episode is sponsored by Binto. Binto is a women's healthcare company that creates personalized supplement packets and provides access to licensed health experts designed to support your unique health needs from the period years through menopause. They source their raw materials and ingredients from around the world and make it their priority to ensure that their supplements are not only safe and effective, but made from quality ingredients with zero preservatives, fillers, or chemicals. So if you want to give BINTO a try, all VHive listeners can receive 20% off their order by using the code VHive20 at checkout on mybinto.com. That's 20% off your order by using the code VHive20 at checkout on mybinto, spelled mybinto.com. Today I am here with Dr. Nicole Williams. She is an author and the founder of the Gynecology Institute of Chicago. Thank you so much for being here.
1: It is my pleasure, Hannah.
0: I'm so excited to talk to you and, you know, well, first I mean I read your book which recently came out which is amazing and I have a lot of questions and I want you to explain to everyone listening, you know, a little bit more about the book for those who may not be familiar with it, but it was fun because we also got to do a little um what do you call like it was a QA, and I guess, for your book launch. Yeah,
1: we did a reading. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that was a lot of fun, so I feel like we've already we've already had the chance to get to know each other. So, I guess we can just start off by you sharing a little bit more about your book. Tell everyone just like the title, the premise, um, and yeah, anything else that you want to share about it. I feel like that will be a good start to the rest of the questions that I have for you.
1: Okay, great. Um, so the book I wrote is called "This Is How You Vagina: All About Your VJJ and Why You Probably Shouldn't Call It That." <laughs> During the pandemic. So I have a lot of my patients, they ask me a lot of the same questions. And I noticed that we still, this is 2021, have a lot of insecurities surrounding our vagina and the health of our vaginas collectively. And there's a lot of myth that surrounds what. how do we keep our vaginas healthy and happy? Yeah. Firstly, we don't have to spend on all sorts of expensive equipment to keep our vaginas healthy but I've had patients who who think that's the case and that's why it's it was important to me to start to address these things when I first started writing the book I thought it would just kind of be you know just a little you know like a blog post basically but then I started delving into things like oh my god I should talk about this I should address that and it just kept going and going and it ended up being a whole book so uh, (laughs) um
0: it's amazing i'm really excited it
1: actually worked out
0: no it's such a good book i read it um before i guess it was published and it was just so interesting like i feel like there are many books you know like not obviously obviously they're all different but like i've read a lot of those types of books and yours is just like it's fun and it's like easy to read it's it's not like a short book it's like a very in-depth book but it's easy to read because there's just like A lot of tangible takeaways and it's very relatable like I feel like everything I read I was like oh I've had that thought I've had that thought like it was Mm -hmm. you know what I mean
1: yeah Um, I do I I mean I was jotting notes down because I was still when I was still seeing patients and then you know when everything shut down I started jotting thoughts down about what were my patients asking me in the past? Yeah. And the more I wrote, the more I realized, oh my God, they they were asking me this, they were asking me that. And I wanted to set it all out in a way that made sense. I didn't want to talk down to people and make them feel as if, oh, I'm this doctor and I know all this stuff and, oh, that makes me better and this is why you should listen to me. No, I want you to listen to me because I can speak to you in a way that makes it make sense. I want my patients, I want anybody who reads this book to understand the science behind why our vaginas do what they do because when you understand the science then it's going to make a lot more sense to you like these behaviors that we do sometimes like um, suffocating her and i wanted to talk about the oxygen levels that your vagina needs she needs sunshine i just made it very simple soap water and sunshine Mm -hmm. and when you're talking about not only oxygenation but ph balance and staying hydrated these very very simple things but they all do have basis in science and once you understand that you're like oh my god i want to do this all the time
0: yeah yeah no it's so important and it's such a good way to get people to like take simple daily practices seriously as you just said because it's like Mm -hmm. once you read it from you know a doctor and an author like yourself and then you actually again as you said really understand the science it's like oh wow these are kind of easy things and like things that I could probably benefit from and I should actually start implementing this into my life. And it's nothing crazy. It's things that we can all do. Yeah. Um, That's so, what I was going for. No, it's, exactly. I lo- it's an amazing book and I, I highly recommend everyone buy it. Um, so I have a bunch of questions for you. But the first thing that I want to ask you is, so in the book, you discuss vaginalism, you use this term vaginalism. And You dive into the history of vaginas especially as it pertains to race and culture and this is a very important topic that you do an amazing job of really highlighting throughout the book and i don't think that this is talked about enough um but it's so important and it's such necessary information for everyone so you know you go you go into depth with this topic and you cover things from abortion laws to access to basic health care and These are obviously such important topics right now, I feel like, for everyone to really kind of have some baseline education on. So do you want to talk a little bit more about this term and like the ways that you incorporated it into your book and obviously the importance of it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I made up a word vaginalism as a play on the term racism, but specifically to the way that women, minority women, white women, all women kind Mm -hmm. of we unfortunately women are not always the most kind to one another in general yeah but then when you throw in not only classism but when you throw in the differences about race the ingrained things that we were somehow taught through the media and history and other kind of general being alive in the United States of America very specifically, when you throw all these things in, these beliefs become ingrained that black women are somehow just sex pots and we are sex we are overly sexualized and Asian women are demure. These are all misnomers. These are all wrong. And Latin women are sassy and then white women, oh they're you know they're the victim they have to be cajoled into sex mm-hmm. all of these things started from the founding of this nation and when I talk about these things I go okay when you go back to slavery yeah. the owners of the slaves raped the women and they used their own they used the term oh well they wanted it they tried to sexualize the slave the enslaved women to to satisfy their own desires and to make themselves feel better about what they did. Say, oh, well, she wanted it. And then the wives of these slaves, well, they had to be cajoled into actually having sex. So that made them cold and unfeeling. Mm -hmm. So all of these things, many of these things started from there and we are still suffering from the repercussions of this behavior to this very day. For example if you take uh like um a, a rap star or a hip-hop woman a black woman like uh, megan the stallion or cardi b somebody like that they are seen unfortunately sometimes as being more loose a little bit not as deserving as somebody who uh, like uh who is that chick hmm. uh, no not like a lady gaga or even a um Oh, goodness, you know, I'm not really up on these. Benefits, but... <laughs> but You know what I mean? When when a white woman decides to embrace her sexuality, it's seen as empowering. Yeah. And when a black woman decides to embrace her sexuality, it's like, oh, well, she's a hoe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's what I talk about, the double standard between women. And, and we do this to each other. We, we should all be able to embrace the sides of ourselves that enjoy having sex without being judged.
0: 100%. but we don't. and yeah. that's
1: something we need to understand when we're talking even between women we need to start thinking about that when we discuss these things amongst ourselves and that's why I had to write that chapter
0: yeah no it's so important and I'm so glad that you did and I think that I mean actually I know that like and I know that you know as well I guess you as you said you coined the term vaginalism but the context of race as it pertains to sexual health and like women's intimacy and all of these topics that we're speaking about like it's not discussed and I you know doctors aren't discussing it people in the media aren't really discussing it so it is such an important thing to have a conversation around and thank you for doing that
1: it is my pleasure (laughs) and it is just just my hope that This book, in some small way, sparks that kind of discussion so that we as women can kind of unite over what we have commonly. And commonly, we have vaginas, people who have vaginas, whether they be, you know, cisgender, transgender, they, them, she, her, it doesn't matter if you have a vagina you should be reading this book, and we should be having more discussions like this.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Another important conversation and discussion to have that you really do a good job of outlining in the book is dispelling many common myths and misinformation concerning the female vagina, genitalia. Um, And as I said in the beginning, like you take these simple things that we've all kind of thought about and questioned and asked our doctors, but you break it down and you really just debunk all the myths, which I loved reading. So, do you want to share some of the myths and misconceptions that you found most shocking and most important to kind of share with all of your readers?
1: Yeah. So, and um, one of the chapters, uh, I think it's chapter seven, uh, we talk about uh, my vagina smells and there's something coming out, and whenever we th- whenever our vagina has any type of, any type of odor that is not like, you know, roses or parfum or anything else that we can put on her, then you think that she's somehow diseased or there's something seriously wrong or, and that's not the case because as I explained, I kind of go through what's normal and what's not normal. And a lot of my patients think that any smell is abnormal, but In the book, I explain, this is why you might have a little bit of an odor, and I call that your signature scent. The oils around the vagina paired with the mucosa itself, and even with a very healthy vaginal pH, there might be just a little bit of a twang because Mm -hmm. we know that the vagina is slightly acidic, so then you might get a little bit of like a sourdough bread kind of thing, and who doesn't love sourdough bread? (laughs) I love sourdough bread, and that's actually okay. But then, you know, if that odor becomes persistent or it is pungent, then absolutely you should be worked up. But for the most part, if you're hydrating, if you're healthy or if you're engaging and um, if you engage in penetrative sex with people with penises and if you're being protected with you, with the use of condoms, for the most part, a little bit of odor is actually OK. Yeah. So that's one of my big ones that I notice. everybody thinks is that your is vagina smells and oh, my God, I'm diseased.
0: Right. But how do you differentiate? I guess it's, it might not be so easy to say, but what's like the kind of fine line between a natural smell and a problematic smell?
1: No, a natural smell is going to be a little bit more subtle. You kind of got to hate to say, you kind of got to get up in there to smell it. Yeah. If it's pungent, if it is pungent and persistent, and if it's different, if it differs greatly than what you're normally used to and that's why I want us to get used to what our signature scent is so when it does change or if it does change for that matter then you of course you bring that to the attention of your healthcare practitioner so we can do a proper workup but most of the time the vast majority of the time the discharge and odor that we might have is normal Mm -hmm.
0: yeah yeah I think that's that's really important for people to hear because that's just one of the many like questions that I'm sure everyone has had at some point.
1: Oh yeah. You know, I talk about it like this. So we're making saliva all the time. All Mm -hmm. the time we make saliva, right? The reason we don't pay it any attention is because we can swallow it. It just goes down. But, but because our vaginas have no swallowing mechanism, your vaginas are still making a small amount of fluid all the time. Not as, of course, not as much as our mouths, but we are making a small amount of fluid and for a little bit to dribble out every single day is okay Mm -hmm. and that's why i advocate not wearing a panty liner because if you're wearing a panty liner there's plastic on the other side of the panty liner and that actually contributes i don't give a damn how excuse me how breathable they say that the artificial thing that you're putting in your cotton underwear is that's not the case so you want to just use plain old cotton underwear that's the most breathable material we have and that's still going to allow you to allow a little bit of normal discharge to come out and still allow her to have enough air
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's also like a really important thing for people to hear because most gynecologists don't really tell their patients that like, I don't know. Why is that?
1: The reason that a lot of gynecologists don't really discuss this is because we weren't taught how to educate our patients. We're taught in residency in medical school training how to fix problems. Yeah, we don't we aren't taught how to promote health
0: so crazy to me something
1: it's absolutely bonkers and completely asinine that we are not taught we're not really taught about food about diet either we got like if i can remember we might have gotten like two weeks about food and nutrition in medical school now that paradigm is changing Hmm. but it's gonna take some time because doctors are just programmed oh problem drug not health promotion but that is changing i think in northwestern university they're having a course but of course this is a really really small course about teaching how to teach patients how to eat healthy for life Mm -hmm. that's changing we're working on it i'm telling you but right now the doctors who are practicing they don't know
0: it's so wild and i mean i just have such an appreciation for doctors like you and You know, I feel like, unfortunately, I don't come across them that often. But there are a decent amount of doctors that I have come across and continue to come across that really, I guess, make it a priority to do to like really educate themselves on on all of these things, on the things that aren't taught in medical school, apparently, and on preventative medicine and like really just ways that you can optimize your health and you know, obviously, I am like focused in in this area of women's intimate health, but mm-hmm. it's so refreshing to find a practitioner that like really, you can tell when there's when when a doctor like yourself really makes an effort to like just has so much more knowledge. I feel like and care so much more about the patient's overall health and well being, and you can really tell.
1: Yeah, and that that wasn't easy to discover all these things, no, and to I know. because you know there was there was some learning by doing, there's some learning by research, and you know I've been at this now for a little bit more than fifteen years, but it, it took some time. And whenever I do talk with my doctor, my young doctors in training, I talk to them all the time about the importance of food and nutrition, the importance of basic health maintenance, and that should be part of what we're talking about when we're treating our patients because that's how we're going to have an overall healthier society by promoting health as opposed to treating disease
0: yeah yeah I so, so, so agree. Okay, so another thing that I want to discuss is the different types of vaginas. You talk a lot about this in the book as well, and you reference the bloody vagina, the birthing vagina, the menopausal (laughs) vagina, the orgasming vagina, vagina. (laughs) the rejuvenated vagina. I have a whole list here. Um, But you do a really good job of discussing the different stages of a woman's life and how the vagina changes for, you know, or i guess you say the vagina isn't always the same quote unquote throughout these different stages and exactly what's so crazy is that like we're not really told what we're or we don't have like an expectation as to what's supposed to happen it kind of just happens and then we're like what the hell is going on um exactly so yeah shed a little bit more light on this
1: so once we hit puberty and our estrogen and all the hormones kind of start kicking in, that's when you're going to start to notice that discharge you know, little kids don't really have that kind of thing. And if they do, then you've got to take them to the pediatrician and have that worked up. But that doesn't happen until puberty. So once we get to puberty, then the pH drops. And why does the pH drop? You want your pH to be that way because sperm is slightly basic. And you want your vagina to kill the bad sperm in order to only allow the healthy sperm in to facilitate fertilization. So, so you know that millions of sperm are released. And if they're released into a vagina that's also too basic, then perhaps some of those non good sperm because you want sperm that are that are highly modal they're really go-getters they have really great dna and they're making they're going to make a great kid Mm -hmm. that's why that happens especially once you hit puberty all the way into our 20s and into our 30s once you're into your 40s that ph is going to change slightly not only because of our lifelong exposure to various bacteria but as our estrogen levels start to start to wane the healthy bacteria, which is lactobacillus species, and there's a whole lot of different ones, but that lactobacillus does start to decrease ever so slightly, and that's going to cause a shift in the pH, which is not necessarily unhealthy, it's just a shift in the pH. And so my patients who are coming to me, and therefore say, so, well, the, the, the smell of my vaginas is, is different than what it used to be. And I go, yes, it is, and this is why. Once they understand why, then there are more apt to go Oh, okay i know i'm okay my vagina's fine i'm gonna keep going and once we get into menopausal vaginas i explain to my patients that if you don't use it you'll lose it meaning we want to keep stimulating that vaginal tissue because yes you don't have as much est- estrogen in the system but if you're stimulating that tissue your vagina can still be as healthy as that of a vagina of any other stage in life Mm. and that's so interesting it, it really really can I tell a story in the book about a lady who was 80s in her 80s and she complained of vaginal discharge to her primary care doctor her primary care doctor sent her to me and when I examined her her vagina looked perfectly fine I said well well what's the problem she's like no problem. My doctor sent me. I was like, well, why did they send you? He's like, well, it's discharge. I was like, well, it looks okay. He's like, are you having any sex or anything like that? She's like, oh, absolutely. Mm. Me and my husband been going at it like bunnies ever since he got that little blue pill. So <laughs> the more, if you're going, if you want a happy and or healthy vagina, and if you're engaging in penetrative sex with a person with a penis, have at it lifelong, that's going to keep her healthy.
0: Wow, wow, that's so that's so fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I think all, like, I don't know. I think that's just good for people to hear because I think yeah, some people, we have, yeah,
1: we have such a youth oriented culture. Yeah, that once a woman kind of passes forty, and then she's kind of in this kind of oblivion, and then she becomes unseen. And I want us to change that paradigm starting right now. Women need to be seen as beautiful and lovely, as well as their vaginas at all stages in life, not just in their 20s and 30s. Mm
0: -hmm. I love that. I really, I I could not agree more. So thank you for sharing that. So actually, similarly, Mm -hmm. you discuss bacteria throughout the book a lot and the role that bacteria plays in either a healthy or an unhealthy gut and its impact on the vagina and yes. the effects that that really has so why was i mean talk about this kind of relates as you were saying to like the ph and the oh, yeah. the probiotics and all of those yeah, the things gut rules
1: everything exactly um, I, I tell my patients this a lot because i'm in chicago where we got you can get like deep dish pizza and wings at like three thirty in the morning. Same with when New York mar- here. <laughs> oh right, right, New Yorkers. Oh my God. You guys, you have that big flat kind of pizza Yeah. And then you have to fold it. Ah, we're deep <laughs> over here in Chicago, which is probably worse for you. <laughs> <But> <laughs> All I mean is that we expect because we put some we put some really bad food into our guts and then we expect our vaginas to be completely healthy. But there is I call a little brain in the gut, and that's why we were taught in medical school. The gut controls a lot of the way that fluid move and bacteria move throughout our entire system, especially those mucosal systems where we use bacteria, and if we have healthy bacteria in our gut, we have healthy bacteria in all of our other mucous membranes, and this is something that we actually need to study a lot more of in medical school we studied the various systems as these separate entities even though we're in one body we studied them as if they were these different disparate things within within a system and what we're starting to realize now very very slowly is that each of these systems influences the other system but we're just trying to we're at the cusp of trying to figure out why so we do know that if you're gut health is good then your vaginal health is good and I explain that to my patients all the time so no deep dish pizza no big flat New York pizza no eating garbage because your vagina is going to retaliate against you and then you're going to wonder why
0: yeah what do they say when you tell them that
1: oh they're like oh I'm like yeah healthy gut healthy vagina
0: it makes sense it does make sense and I honestly also feel like when someone hears it from a doctor like I know I know it's kind of like sometimes you're like oh like a doctor tells me this and sometimes people listen and sometimes people don't but I also mm-hmm. do think that there is some sort of a I don't know if impact is the right word but like you know obviously you're held to a higher standard so it's different yeah. to hear from you like oh this is actually affecting you in a real legitimate way and yes it resonates differently
1: I really, really hope so, because I want to put things to my patients. I don't want to dictate to them. Yeah. I want them to understand, because once you understand, then you're going to be in a better place to change your behavior.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. So are there any other – I mean, you talk more about this in the book, like other common complaints that you see often, that you've seen all the time throughout your years practicing – um, in addition mm-hmm. to like a smell, but you know also like itching and burning and other kind of common things that don't necessarily mean there's a problem but are yes. worth addressing. So I mean, I, I know you've heard it all later, yeah.
1: Oh, I've heard a lot <laughs> actually and I want I want to kind of talk about a little bit about rejuvenated vaginas. Yeah because once we I've had a lot of my patients and they come to me and they're complaining that they don't like what their labia vulva vagina they don't like what it looks like and it's kind it's become problematic for me to have to explain and to have to deal with because i want us to understand that the vagina is beautiful in a functional way there is no paradigm there is no standard of vaginal beauty, because first of all, it's all ugly, that's why we sit on it. Mm -hmm. But I do have patients who are very, very concerned, and we can thank the internet for this, I think. Yeah. And we can also thank some of our um, male penis-holding counterparts about, because the patients who express these concerns, and it causes them anxiety, and that really bothers me because their, their labia may be uneven or they may be hanging outside of their, their, their labia minor might hang outside the labia or And some person told them, oh, well, that's ugly. And I wanna empower my patients that they should know that it's functional and beautiful. And in fact, um, I actually have in the book, in the uh, updated one, I was able to get a photo of multiple plaster casts that an artist did of uh, various uh, volve and if you look at them each one of them is different yeah. and also if you look at them un- uneven is the norm most of us are gonna have a little bit of a difference between the right and the left side this is okay yeah that's something i really really want to emphasize choose some of my patients who do get very anxious and they, some have been like despondent or depressed because some person told them they were somehow hideous down there mm-hmm. and then they're not worthy of love They're that their vaginas are somehow not worthy of yeah. worship because it's it, because of what it looks like that's a big old fat steaming pile of crap and i wanted to address that
0: it's so important like yeah thank you thank you thank you and I, I don't mean to get into like the topic of the porn industry because that's, mm-hmm. oh that's a whole, a whole thing yeah right. but I do think that it is really to blame because it's like yeah. everyone looks the same everyone is you know and that's just not normal and I and porn wasn't meant for like this type of education like that's just not what it was meant for but unfortunately so many people are educated mm-hmm. through it and it's like false yes, they are yeah yeah absolutely false (laughs) i mean so like and yeah just as you said so many issues i feel like stem from that and you know i guess like movies and like Mm -hmm. it's just yeah so
1: and it's not fair it's not fair to any vagina owner that we believe that some porn person's vagina is the one that's supposed that all vaginas are supposed to look like
0: yeah yeah and i'm sure that's kind of I mean, I'm sure that when patients hear that from you, it's very refreshing. But I also, it must be hard for patients to have to, or not patients, but women in general, to have to, like, unlearn what they've known or thought is is right or pretty or, as you said, makes them feel sexy and beautiful. Like, being like having having let's say you as your doctor as someone's doctor being like no like everything is perfect and normal and there's nothing wrong with you then you actually as the individual have to be like oh crap really like mm-hmm. how do I even unlearn that it's hard
1: it's really really hard and I'm I, I know that I probably lost a patient or two when I, I refuse to do their surgery I will perform that surgery but it's for an actual problem if mm-hmm. if it's ripping or tearing or or causing of the folds or the sweat that get in there causing multiple yeast infections, which is very, very possible, fine. You know, we want it to be functional as well. If it's not functional, then fine. But I'm not going to do it just so you can achieve some uh, some kind of thought that you have in your head of what your labia should look like. Yeah. Because as long as it's functioning, then we shouldn't mess with what is genital perfection.
0: Yeah, yeah. So true. So, is there? I, I want you to share where everyone can buy your book and contact you and find you online and reach out to you. Is there anything else that you want to share before we go?
1: Yeah. So I am on uh, Instagram at dr. ddr nicole life, and then on um, uh, my practices at Gynecology Institute. The website for the book is thisishowyouvagina dot com. You can find us on Amazon, but honestly. If wherever you live in the United States, there's an independent bookstore, go to that independent bookstore, spend your money there.
0: Now, I mean, Amazon
1: is very convenient, (laughs) but if you can, if you can go to an independent bookstore, order the book, order the book there. But if you can't, of course, we're found on Amazon.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm going to link the book and where everyone can contact you in the show notes. Every time I talk to you, I learn something new. It was always fun for me and Uh, I can't yeah. yeah thank you I can't wait for everyone to
1: hear this all right wonderful